I'd love for you to open your Bibles with me today. And we're going we're gonna to open the book of 2 Corinthians. You know, the, the first month of the year, we talked about what are we building? Will it last? And last week, we talked about some of the things you said, you know, well, if, if what we're building, if what God is building is going to last, what are the things in my life that are going to last that I can count on? When everything else goes weird, when everything else goes crazy, what can I count on? The Bible says that everything that can be shaken will be shaken so that the unshakable things would remain. So that means things will get a little crazy and stuff will shake off that's shakable. And that's not a bad thing. Now, it might feel like a bad thing. If you've based all your life on shakable stuff, it's going to be a bad day. But it's not supposed to be. That's why God's prepared you, right? So he says everything that can be shaken will be shaken and so that, so there's a purpose behind it. The unshakable things will remain. So you really got to ask yourself, what's unshakable in my life? What do I run to? If there's an earthquake, where do I take shelter? Right? We're Lloydminster people. We don't have to worry about that. <laughs> I mean, you don't really have to worry about, is this beam going to hold, you know? Is the cellar strong enough? But when you're places where they have regular, my uncle used to live, my uncle and aunt used to live uh, in, in part of California where there was earthquakes all the time. And it was like, you know, you had, it was just, you'd feel little tremors and that's just part of life, you know? But you, you always had a plan. Where do you go? If there's an earthquake, if there's a bad one, where do you go? You don't stand under that. That's a bad place to stand. You don't stand near that. There were places where you look and you go, this, this is a good place. This is a good shelter. There are parts of the world where they face uh, tsunamis and they face monsoons and they face tornadoes and, and all these other natural disasters. And, and uh, we're pretty blessed here in Lloydminster. We might have a tornado hit a barn every now and then, but you're not really worried about it. This isn't Wizard of Oz, right? Like you're not thinking about it. Most people around Lloydminster, if there's a tornado, they're like, cool, where is it? You know, we're not afraid. But, I mean, my, my grandparents, you know, they came out of Tornado Alley in Oklahoma. Like, they, it wasn't a game. You know, these are, these are intense things. And, and so people that live in shaky places like that, you have to have backup plans. You have, not a backup plan. You have to have a plan of shelter. You have to have a plan. This is what I run to. Last week we talked about the name of the Lord, how we run to it. The righteous will run to it. You run to it because you are righteous. You have a right to go, thank God. But you run to it because you know that's the only thing that's going to be standing. And so as we're talking about that, I, I want to talk just today about something very simple. It's simple, but it's, found, it's the foundation for our whole life, which is when you got born again, when you received Jesus, something should have happened. Your eyes were opened to a whole different world. And you realize that the world you thought was your whole world is actually very small and very limited and will one day pass away. And while it's beautiful and it's wonderful and it's full of great things, at the end of the day, this won't last. But there is something that will last. You know, a lot of times when we talk about eternity, we say, well, after we die, eternity. But eternity by definition is all time, is beyond time, right? So eternity doesn't just move forward, it goes backwards. So when God gave you everlasting, eternal life, that, that's not someday when you die, you'll get eternal life. Now, Jesus talks about in the age to come, you'll have eternal life. He talks about that. But really, when you partook in eternal life, it's, this is not something we're waiting to die and see. God invited you into this reality right now. 
As a believer, you are invited into the reality that there is a whole other world that's always been there. And now your eyes are open to it. Now, not only do you, uh, I mean, if I didn't know Jesus, I wouldn't want to think that there was a world beyond my own. A world I couldn't see. I wouldn't want that. I'd be too uncomfortable with that. Because I want to be able to see and touch and control. I don't want to, I don't want to know there's a, a whole, there's a whole other thing going on I, can't, I, can't, I have no control over and I can't see and I can't understand. But now that you are spirit-filled believers, you understand that's, that's actually home. That's more real than this. It's more real. This feels real because we're so used to like what we can touch and what we can see and what we can feel and smell and taste. But the world that you were born for, the, the heaven you were made for, the reality, which is, which is the garden reality that, that we see in Genesis, is that heaven and earth are not meant to be separate. They're meant to be together. You know this, right? This is the reality, is that heaven and earth were together, that, that while we say heaven and earth as separate, they, they're, they're united, they, they work together, they, they are not separated by a wall. When sin came in, it separated us. But Jesus restored it, thank God. What did they call the place in the Old Testament where heaven and earth came together? What would they call it? a place where you'd, you'd, the presence of God would be and we'd go to worship? What would that be? The temple, right? In the temple, heaven and earth come together, right? That's, that's the Old Testament reality. As they wandered through the, the desert, God said, I want to be with my people. And they're wandering through the desert. They're living nomadic lives. They're living in tents that they pitch every new place. they got to set up tents again. God said, build me a tabernacle, right? He says, build me a tabernacle or a big tent structure that is going to house my presence. And he gave very specific instructions. This is how you build it. This is what it's made of. This is where this should be. And, and you might think, well, that just seems like, why are you being so specific? It just needs to be a pretty tent. No, it was very specific. In fact, everything that the Israelites brought out of Egypt, they went out of Egypt laden with silver and gold. A bunch of slaves went out rich for a purpose. They didn't know the purpose. But when, they, when it came time to build the tabernacle, they had all the materials to build the fanciest tent you've ever seen in your life. I mean, we're talking about skilled craftsmen. We're talking about, I mean, it was amazing. But it was all so that God could meet with his people, that heaven and earth could come together in this place. And the Bible says in the New Testament that that pattern that God gave to Moses for that tabernacle was based on a pattern that's already in heaven. It's pretty cool. When Solomon came along, they built a temple that was a permanent structure, not just a tent. We had that famous Solomon's temple. It was beautiful. It was gorgeous. But you go there. Heaven and earth came together in this place. And in every temple, there's an image, right? In every temple, you know, if you, there's, there's a picture of who we're worshiping. Who are we worshiping? In the garden, heaven and earth came together. And where was the image of God? It was on his people. Adam and Eve bore the image of God. In the Old Testament, they didn't put images of God up because he was beyond that, right? But this idea of a tabernacle, this idea of a temple... We see it in John chapter 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it begins to tell us about how this God that's always existed has always wanted to be with us. It says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Literally, the Word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. 
That's always been God's plan. From the beginning, is that heaven and earth would come together, that his presence would be among his people. And now the New Testament says, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Hear that. We're the temple of God. The church, not just the word church, not this building, but us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so this is, we're meant to be a place where heaven and earth meet. We're meant to be those people that carry the presence of God. And so you're meant to be aware that there's eternal stuff happening. We need to stop relegating heaven and relegating eternal stuff and just figuring that happens when we're dead. No, that happens right now. There's another phase of this when you die. There's another, when you lay down this body and you pick up the body God's prepared for you, that's different. But even right now, he wants us investing in this because this is what's going to last. This past week, we've had three families in the church that have had different family members go to be with the Lord. We've all had to process this. Had to grieve with those, mourn with those who mourn, rejoice with those who rejoice. You guys have been great, comforting, taking meals. But we understand that when you have a week like this, you really think about eternal things. You think about what matters. You think about what lasts. You think about what are we investing in? What's going to be here when, when everything else is gone? I was reading... I always go back to this. But in 2 Corinthians, when he talks about the unseen things, the unseen things that are eternal, he talks about this earthly tent that we're going to say goodbye to someday. You guys know that's, that's Paul was a tent maker, so I guess he liked to talk about tents. I like that imagery. I love tents, too. But you think about uh, a tent. There's nothing permanent about a tent, right? You should see some of the places. We've taken our tent to some places where you should not take a tent. We really like, my family really likes tenting. And we like camping. I like going places where my phone doesn't work. I like that. Because when your phone's on, you're always working, right? So sometimes you can never really relax until your phone's off. But my problem is if I turn my phone off, I feel guilty about that. So if I go somewhere in the mountains that it doesn't work, I go, can help it, <laughs> right? So I can just focus on my family. I can just love on the Lord, and, and ultimately I can be a better pastor because I come back rested, you know? So we go someplace, and, but the problem with that is, is that there are places that are, we, we got a rather large tent because we pack too much, you know? We really should pack lighter, but we don't. And so we bring our big suitcases into the tent. So we got a tent that can fit all that, and, and it's just, a, it's like a sail, for wind. Like, it's just terrible. So it's, it's, it's all right to set up our first tent. Well, not our first tent, but we've gone through tents. Our last tent, we set up at Glacier National Park, and the national park campsites were all booked up, so we ended up staying at a KOA. Has anyone stayed at a KOA? Campgrounds of America, but they thought it'd be cute to spell campgrounds with a K? <laughs> campgrounds of America. Great. Campgrounds of America... Um, they don't want to believe people really want to stay in a tent. They believe if you have a tent, you're just saving up for an RV. That's what, 
you should all transition to an RV. I don't want an RV. I don't want a motorhome. I want my tent. But KOA doesn't want to believe that. So KOA will put you, if you're not careful, KOA will put you in a field with no trees because you should be in your RV right now. You want privacy? Go in your motorhome. <laughs> you tent peasants, why don't you save up for something real? So we're in Glacier National Park, and we are right in the greatest wind tunnel you've ever seen. The mountains here, the mountains there. But you know one thing about the KOA, we don't feel like we're roughing it for a minute. We don't stay there often, but when we do, we know they have a pool. So I took my son to the coldest pool that you've ever dipped your foot in. Because although it's summer, we're in the mountains, and this is not a heated pool. So we, we do our polar dip, and, and we, we're both, because we're guys, we try to act like this isn't bad at all, and we're doing this. But we've left Tia in the tent, and while Tia's getting changed, getting ready for the day, um, Moses and I are strolling back, drying our hair, and we see that the tent is at an angle it should never be, <laughs> and the floor is facing the sky, and I hear screams from inside the tent. And the time you don't want your tent to turn upside down is when you're getting changed. That's the worst time. But Tia manages to get herself together. And the wind had blown our tent because KOA, once again, you should be an RV. Um, they've given us gravel to put our stakes in. So I've, I've bought all this extra rope to try to find any sort of branch or twig or any stump I can tie it to. But it's not stable. And... Uh, you know, you, you have these experiences with a tent, and I will not back down. I still like my tent. Now, maybe when I'm older, we'll say, hey, tenting was for us when we were younger. We're moving on. We're, we're going to, KOA wins. We're going to buy an RV. I don't know. <laughs> but I've gone through a few of those tents. We, we get them beaten up and bruised and battered, and thank God for them, but they are temporary. And Paul says, this earthly body you have is a tent. It's not meant to last long. It, it will last as long as it needs to last for you to fulfill what God called you to, but it's not made to inherit eternity. It's not made to inherit the glory that God's called us to, but he says he's prepared a body for us. It says there will be a day when you lay this tent down. And you pick up something else in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Actually, I'm sorry. Let me start in 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, yeah, no, it's 4. 2 Corinthians 4, he says in verse 16, Therefore, we do not lose heart. We don't lose heart. We don't give up. We don't quit. We don't faint. We don't lose heart. But though our outer man, that's your body, is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. That means you're getting younger. Not in your body, but your spiritual life, your, your inner person, that spiritual person that you really are. Remember, your body is just a tent you live in, but it's the spirit that makes up who you really are. It's the spirit that will last far past the grave. It's the spirit that's eternal. And so that's what matters. And he says, that's the part that's being renewed. I, I'm, I'm experiencing, as one song says, death in reverse. He says, we are being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction, 
is producing for us eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. He compares those things, right? He says, the affliction he's been going through for the sake of the gospel is momentary. He says, the glory we're waiting for is eternal. He says, the affliction we've been going through is light. The glory is weighty. It's heavy. So he's, he's contrasting these things so you can see. The, the, the trouble that seems so big right now is temporary, but the weight of glory is eternal. This trouble is, is light. This momentary affliction is light, but the glory is so much heavier. And he says it's not even worthy of comparison. In verse 18, he says, while we look not at the things which are seen. Now, isn't that a funny thing to say? I don't look at the things which are seen, huh? Wouldn't that be the thing to look at, the things you can see, Right? What does he mean when I, I don't look at the things that are seen? He says, this is not what I focus on. This is not what I spend my time thinking about. This is not my focus in life are the, un, are the things I can see. He says, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. They are temporal means subject to time. They will pass away. But the things which are not seen are eternal. I want you to just remember that beginning of that verse. We don't look at the things which are seen. Uh, once again, what does that mean? I don't look at it. I <laughs> mean, I walk through life with my eyes closed. I can't look at that. That's visible. No, what it means is that I, I, this is not what I'm basing my life or my reality on. I am not going to build my life on temporary things. I am not going to base my faith on things I can just see. I'm not going to say this is what's real because I can see it and I can touch it. I don't trust what I can't see. I don't trust what I can't touch. Here's the problem. There's a whole lot you can't see or touch and you believe in it. Science has shown if you, if you look deep enough, you find things, right? You f we found things that, you know, things that exist, things that keep the universe going, that God put into place that you've never seen or you've never perceived with your eyes. They're way too small. They're way too finite. And yet... You believe they're real, right? You believe those atoms in your that make up this, this matter, that, that, that these, these cells and all these things you can't perceive or you can't see, you know they're real. And it's just like this with the things of God. Even those things are still able to be seen. You just have to get a really powerful microscope or x-ray or whatever. But when we're talking about the things of God, these eternal things, they're not temporary, they're eternal. And he goes on and he says in chapter 5, For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God. Notice he doesn't say we will have a building, but we have a building. But you haven't fully walked into it yet. Someday you will. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed, our dwelling from heaven, Inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we're in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we don't want to be unclothed. We want to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave, us, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We're of good courage, I say. And prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we have it as our ambition, whether we're at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. 
So a couple of things are coming out of him believing this. Number one, he says, therefore, we're of good courage. Like we, we get, we, there's courage that comes when you know this isn't all there is. That there's something beyond this. That, that our life is not a waste. That we are not wasting our time. You know, there's, there's, there's a point where he talks about, in the same conversation, talking about the resurrection and talking about the fact of Christ's resurrection. He talks to the Corinthians about this. The, 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 the reality of Christ's resurrection. He says, because that's real. Because that's real, encourage one another, knowing that your work is not in vain, knowing that your work is not pointless, that you are working towards eternal things that will be around when you're gone. And these are the things we spend our life on, because these are the things that matter. These are the things that, uh, that are more real than what I can perceive. What in your life are you spending most of your money on? What are you spending most of your time on? What are you spending most of your energy? What do you spend most of your love on? These are the things that matter to you. And I just want to ask you, are they the right things? We can all say the Christian thing right now in the room. Go, this is what matters. But I don't know what matters to you. You know what matters to you but you'll know it by what you spend everything on. God gave you this breath. We're just saying, it's your breath in our lungs. Well, what are you doing with that breath? Oscar and Eliana talked about the resources God put in your hand. What are you doing with those resources? Right? Now, I, I want you to see something with me um, that Jesus said, and, and I'm so thankful in Matthew chapter 6 that he was patient with us and said it in such a way that it was really clear. Matthew 6, Jesus speaks to his disciples bluntly and plainly about not being like the hypocrites and not being like the Pharisees. And he says, this is how you pray, this is how you give, this is how you live. Teaches them how to pray, and we call it the Lord's Prayer. But he says this in verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves, this is Matthew 6, 19. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. What does that mean? It means how I perceive the world around me, the way I see things, affects everything. If your eye is clear, if you get that right, you see, he's talking about the fact that greed or being overly attached to temporary things will cloud your vision. You know what I'm saying? Because he goes on, and this is sandwiched right in between, talks about who your, who your master is and, and where your heart is. Because he goes on and he says this, no one can serve two masters for either he'll hate one and love the other, he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth or God and mammon. It literally says mammon was like a, an evil spirit that represented greed. He says you can't serve that. So watch how he says if you can get this right, your eye will be clear. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Moth and rust won't destroy it. In other words, it will not decay. It won't be corrupted. What does Galatians say? Don't be deceived. God is not, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he reap. And he who sows to the flesh 
will reap what? Corruption. Now, what's corruption? Corruption is something that just decays over time. Everything around you corrupts. Yeah? You don't leave a car out in the rain and it becomes a better car. You know? You don't leave a car in a field and then come back five years later and go, wow, it got supercharged. That's awesome. It grew a hemi. These aren't realities. Right? Somebody had to create that car, and it needs upkeep and things like that, but it will decay. That's why you tell your financial advisor, I have got investments. Oh, what'd you invest in? A new truck and a new motorbike. And, an, and they go, oh, that's not a great investment, dude. <laughs> I'm glad you're enjoying it, but if you're expecting, expecting to cash out at the end of your life and sell, the, they don't normally appreciate unless it's you know, pretty specific. So what, what he's saying is there, are, there is a place where you can store your treasure, where it can't be touched by the temporal nature of the planet we live on. God did not create this planet to be temporary. Sin did that. It broke something. Now everything in the planet wears out. Now thank God Oscar and Eliana gave a great testimony of how the eternal is affecting the natural, right? How because they've put first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, how they've invested in the eternal, God is taking care, and the eternal is bleeding over into the temporary. But even then, even that goes away. I had a, a mentor that said to me one time, he said, you know, you realize even Lazarus died. Like he's not work, I've said this before, but he's not working at a gas station with Elvis somewhere you know he's not he's not like man I wish Jesus hadn't got me up from the grave I've been around for 2,000 years I just want to die even that miracle of resurrection was a, was temporary in a sense but the resurrection that took place in his spirit was eternal that that Lazarus because his faith was in Jesus never died his body eventually died it's the same way with us. Store up for your treasures. Another, uh, the, another gospel uh, writes it this way. Buy your, put, uh, uh, it, says, it says, put on money belts that won't wear out. Do you remember the rich young ruler? Came to Jesus, and he was, he was so expecting that Jesus was going to, like he was the teacher's pet, like Jesus was going to be like, you are the best guy I've ever met. Because he says, Lord, I have kept all the law. Right? I, I have all the stickers on my chart. I'm the guy. Is there anything else I need to do to enter the kingdom? You know when people ask those dumb questions that they're just like, they're, they're just setting you up like they're fishing for a compliment or something? I don't know if that's what the rich young ruler was looking for, but he seems pretty high on himself. And he says, I've kept all the law. I've done everything. What, what must I do to enter the kingdom? What do I have to do? And Jesus says, well, that's great. One thing you lack. Oh, one thing that should be easy, right? Only one? Now, I, I think Jesus was just making a point. I don't think this guy has only one thing in his life he's got to fix. But Jesus says, one thing you lack. Sell all your possessions. Give them to the poor. Then follow me. And the man goes, whoa, I, I can't do that. He, he, he gets sad. The Bible says he goes away really sad, and he doesn't go with Jesus. Jesus turns to his disciples, and he goes, that's why it's hard for a rich guy to enter the kingdom. And the disciples go, well, then who can? I'm, they must have figured that they were doing all right. 
Well, then who can? And Jesus says, well, with man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. But he says, I want to make you a promise. Nobody who's given up farms, houses, or land, family, brothers, and sisters for my sake, will not reap a hundred times as much in this life and in the age to come, eternal life. That's huge, isn't it? Think about why that rich young ruler. Listen, first of all, obviously, he doesn't own the possessions. The possessions own him. He's got a problem. If he couldn't give it up to follow Jesus, we know what matters more. Secondly, he's a ruler. His job is to take care of this stuff. As long as he's got all these things to look after, he's a landlord. He's a ruler. So he can't really give it, you know, just pick up and leave and follow Jesus. Jesus is saying, I'm here for a temporary time. Follow me. No matter what, I think that Jesus is setting him free from the thing that's bound his heart. He's a slave to what he owns. Should be the other way around, shouldn't it? You should own what you own, but what he owned, owned him. So then Jesus turns to his disciples and he tells them, like, you're going to have to give all this stuff up. But when you give up farms and houses and land and brothers and sisters and family for me, I'm going to give you a hundred times that. He says, along with persecutions. <laughs> Skip. No, along with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. Now, just think about this. A hundred times as much. Okay, so when I used to read this, I used to read that and go, okay, so if they gave up one farm to get 100 farms, if they gave up one house to get 100 houses. Now, I think you could read it that way. I think that would be not the best way to read it because I, I, I don't think any of the apostles ever got that. I don't think those disciples ever had 100 different farms somewhere. I don't think they wanted that. But I think what they got was 100 times as much. I think God blessed them. He provided for them. He, he, he gave them family they didn't have. And, you know, I've got a brother-in-law and sister that we're going to see next week. I've been living in Nepal. We, we don't get to see him very often. I met my nephew once. It's tough not seeing, like, I got one nephew. I got one shot. I married an only child. <laughs> this kid is my hope, you know. I got, if I'm going to be a fun uncle, this is the guy. And I met him when he was young, about the size of a football, Super Bowl reference. <laughs> and I haven't seen him since, and I'm, I, I want to meet the kid again. He doesn't know who I am. So that's hard. You give up some of those things to do what the Lord called you to do. But Matthew, my brother-in-law, has talked to me over and over again. He says, we have seen that reference, that scripture where Jesus says, I will give you 100 times. He says, we have seen that over and over in our life. He goes, we could go anywhere in the world, and there's a house we can stay in. We go anywhere in the world, and we have family. We go anywhere in the world, we've got brothers and sisters. And he goes, God has just multiplied that back to us. When we need provision, it's there. When, when we need something, God's taking care of it. He says, he has taken care of us 100 times. And sometimes we think, well, you know what? I want, is, I want 100 different houses. Do you really? <laughs> okay. You got the one in Maui. I got the one in San Diego. Got the one in Jasper. Oh, you're running out of places to put these houses, and you got to look after them. I think, I think when you mature, you find out, sure, God can give you another house. That's great. But when you mature, you find out 100 times better He's giving you something that's even better. Yeah, he's going to provide for you. Thank God he's Jehovah Jireh. He'll provide. 
right? I mean, God's bringing resources into the kingdom, amen? God's using you. God's blessing your business so that you can be a part of what God's doing. I believe that, but I also believe this, that when you mature, you fall in love with eternal things, and the temporary things are not your goal in life. Your goal in life is not to retire with all this, because Jesus talked about a guy like that, and he died the next day, and he said he was not rich toward God. He wasted his life. When I was a kid, you know, uh, my parents didn't let me eat a ton of junk food. Every now and then as a treat, right? So the junk food I'd go for, good old Canadian junk food, ketchup chips, right? I wasn't allowed to eat ketchup chips every day. But once in a while, you can have some ketchup chips. I had preferences. I'm sure you have preferences. We tell my American friends, we have ketchup chips. And they go, that sounds disgusting. I said, you haven't lived yet. <laughs> you think... I was like, what about all dressed? They go, we don't know what that is either. Coffee crisp, we don't have that. And, and, and this is really difficult because I don't know if the friendship can continue past this point. <laughs> I'm like, you come to Canada, we'll give you ketchup chips. You'll discover this. They're good. They're very good. I don't eat them much at all anymore, but when I was a kid, I did, right? But can you imagine? You know, you, you get older and, and, and you mature in your tastes and you begin to discover, like, there's better food out there than ketchup chips, but as, a, as, a, as an immature kid, I, I, you know, what, what would happen if you brought me to the most expensive restaurant on the planet? It says, you know, what's your favorite snack? Ketchup chips. <laughs> you love ketchup chips, don't you? I love ketchup chips. Okay, this place, it costs 100 times what you'd spend on that bag of ketchup chips. Ooh. What if I got to that restaurant? This is 100 times expensive as my ketchup chips. And I sit down at the table and they go, sir, we want to bring you an amuse-bouche. Just an opening taste. What would you like? Ketchup chips, please. <laughs> okay. Ketchup chips, really? Are you sure? We have the, the best chef in the world. We've got the finest ingredients uh, um, that we farmed back here. The best of the best. What do you want? Ketchup chips. Okay. It's time for appetizers. Order your appetizer. Can I get... Uh, you said it's 100 times as much as my ketchup chips. I want 100 bags of ketchup chips. I will take 20 for an appetizer. The amuse-bouche, I assume, was free. 20 for an appetizer, 20 for second course, 20 for main course, 20 for a palate cleanser, 20 for dessert. Ketchup chips! Would I have wasted that experience? I have gone to the best restaurant in the world with the finest chef, with the finest ingredients, and because someone told me it's 100 times as good as your ketchup chips, I translate that to 100 ketchup chips. And that's what we do when we sell out the eternal for something cheap and temporary. Something that'll pass away. Because the more you fall in love with Jesus, the more you fall in love with eternal things. And you begin to delight in them and you desire them and they satisfy you. And he satisfies you. And the things of the world, as the song says, grow strangely dim and shadowy. They're flimsy. They, it's like cheap material that you just... But yet God wants you to enjoy it. Here's the thing. Here, and this is why I so love what Oscar Neliana shared. Because when you begin to delight in the Lord and you learn the value of the eternal, even the physical, the eternal affects how you experience everything else. So even those mountains that will someday pass away are even more beautiful now that you're with God. 
Even the food somehow has a different flavor because God is so good. You know, you experience life differently. When you center your life on temporary things, your life is shaky, it's cheap, it's small. But when you build your life on the things of God and you invest in the kingdom, you invest in eternal things, you store up for your treasure. Listen, he says store up your treasure in heaven. He doesn't say, friends, he doesn't say, and when you die, you'll get it. Right? He just told them, I'll give you a hundred times. You're storing your treasure in heaven, but you are partaking in that, that treasure even right now on earth. Eternal by nature means it's now and forever. Now, there's some things that, yeah, I don't get to experience until I lay this body down. The Bible talks about the fact that I have received the spirit of adoption and I cry out, Papa. I know that I'm saved. There's, a, there's an adoption in me. I've received the spirit of adoption. But it also tells us that there is a, a fulfillment of your adoption when you lay down this body and you get the new one. And that's when your adoption is fulfilled. So we're, we're experiencing a taste right now. But there's even more ahead of us. I want to read you something in Hebrews as we come to the end. Near the end, dance around it. Hebrews chapter 11. I grew up reading this chapter over and over again. Reading about these heroes of faith. Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Gideon, Barak, Sarah, Deborah, Noah, all these people that just experience God in a way that I wanted to experience. These Old Testament righteous men and women of God. How they lived by faith. You know, I love that it says they, by faith they did. It doesn't ever say they did this out of themselves or they did this because they tried extra hard. It says by faith. Everything they did was by faith. And it says this, I want to read you what it says in verse 24. Actually, let me, let me, let me read you first what it says in verse, uh, <laughs> verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going, but by faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He was looking for a city which has foundations. You realize Abraham was a very rich man. God really blessed Abraham. He had, the Bible says he had, he had lots of cattle. He had livestock. He had a private army. Like The guy took on... He took on the, the, in the Battle of the Five Kings, like this guy, I mean, this guy took on armies with his own little private entourage. He was doing okay. And yet he lived in a tent. He left the house and lived in a tent. Now, once again, Abraham, my man, I, I feel you. <laughs> I want to compare tents. Can we compare? His was probably warmer. His probably was made of hide. 
and uh, it was a little bit more, you know, built for the weather, but mine would be set up faster, I guarantee it. <laughs> he lived in tents. He could have lived at any point in his life, he could have bought property in a city like Lot did, could have lived in the nicest house on the, on the block, but instead, he's looking for another city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Now, everybody else around that guy thinks he's insane. But we're reading about him thousands of years later. Yeah, he's insane to everyone else. When you live in a different reality and you're seeing something no one else is seeing, you're crazy. But we call him the father of faith. Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. We now have become sons and daughters of Abraham by faith. Like this guy... This guy was the patriarch that God used to bring out, like, I mean, to bring in the Israelite family, to bring out a seed where he could bring redemption to humanity. This guy, because he was looking for something else, because he's looking for something permanent. Isn't that ironic? He lives in something that seems temporary to everyone else because he's looking for something permanent. They think they live in permanent houses, but he goes, that's not permanent enough for me. Do you ever say that? It's not permanent enough for me. That's not real enough for me. That's too, I mean, someone could offer you the nicest thing in the world. D Daniel was offered a bribe. Tell me what, what, the, what this interpretation means. Interpret my dreams. I'll interpret this writing on the wall. I will give you all this money. I'll give you all this stuff. And Daniel says, keep your stuff. Abraham says, keep your stuff. Don't even give me a shoelace. Why? I'm not settling for what you're giving me. I want what God gives me. It goes on, and it says in this chapter, I'm going to skip down to what Moses went through. It says in verse 24, by faith Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So he grew up in a royal family, but he didn't want to be with them. Instead, he chose to live with the slaves, the Israelites, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Listen to that, passing very, very temporary pleasure. Do you know pleasure is not a bad word? Everybody know that? Pleasure is a really good word. God invented it. The Bible says in his presence there are pleasures evermore. You know, God, you're not supposed to be bored with God. You're not supposed to be so serious all the time that you never enjoy anything. My goodness, you're supposed to learn how God created you for enjoyment. It's just we've been settling for cheap stuff. God's got so much better. He says, you have been pleased with junk from the dollar store. Look what I got for you. We're, as C.S. Lewis said, we're far too easily pleased. So he says, I don't want the passing pleasures of sin. What did David say? In your presence are pleasures everlasting. There is a pleasure in the presence of God that doesn't go away. You don't wake up with a hangover. It's so real. It says, rather than endure the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches. Hear that? Greater riches. Does anybody here want greater riches? That's what he's saying. Greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. That's what he's looking for. I'm looking at something real. I, you can't buy me off with cheap little trinkets you got from Dollarama. I want something real. Go back for a minute. Verse 13, all these died in faith. 
all these died in faith. When I was a kid, I used to read this, and it made me sad. And I thought, oh, they didn't get the promise. It says they died before receiving the promise, but it doesn't say they didn't receive the promise. They just didn't receive it on the earth. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they'd been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. I love as he goes on and he says, talks about people that in the short term had to go through some pretty rough stuff. But he says they did it by faith. And he says they were men and women that the world wasn't worthy of. The world wasn't worthy of them. They desired something better. And the church in these last days has to fall in love again with the better things, with the permanent things, with the real things. And come to a place where you understand it's time to invest in things that are going to last. Spend your time on things that are going to last. You know, can I read you one more verse? I know I was going to close with that, but I just want to read you one more thing that hammers this in for me if I can. I mean, like, once again, I have the mic. What are you going to do? Sorry. I'm not trying to bully. I'm just saying, if you need to leave, you can, but I'm going to read this. Praise God. I get so much hope from this, you know. I, I, I pick up my Bible and I go, God loved me enough to speak to me through his word. And he loved us enough to give us a spirit that would teach us these things. I want you to read this in 2 Timothy with me. Sorry, 1 Timothy, my mistake. 1 Timothy 6. He says, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. Once again, so look at all the words he uses for temporary things. Uncertain, passing, temporary. On the uncertainty of riches, because it could go away tomorrow. But instead, fix your hope on God, who richly supplies all, us with all things to enjoy. It's not wrong to enjoy things, right? God has supplied it. But when you don't put your hope in it, when it's not your goal... Remember Paul said to Timothy, he says, tell people, don't make it their goal in life to be rich because people who, that's their goal, he says, they will fall into traps all over the place. All Satan's got to do is put a dollar bill over a hole and he's got you. Take this promotion. Is it from God? Well, it makes more money. Must be God. Well, that's a really dumb way to decide things. Don't decide based on those things. Decide on what God says. Pray about it. Talk about it with your spouse. Pray together. You know, find out what the will of the Lord is. Sometimes you'll take less money and he'll, he'll make it up in the end. Whatever you do, do what God says. Make eternal decisions. He says, instruct them to put their hope on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. And he goes on in verse 18. 
and he says this, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure, there it is again, of a good foundation for the future. What future are we talking about? We're talking about the future here. We're also talking about the future in, in the life is going to be a lot longer than this. So that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Do you see the whole New Testament is comparing stuff? I love how Hebrews does that. It compares, it puts it on a, a scale for you and goes, you honestly think that this temporary, momentary light affliction is worth comparing the eternal weight of glory? Do you honestly believe that this passing pleasure of sin that Moses could have partaken in was anywhere near being with the people of God and walking in the promise of God. They, they're constantly, they're saying, they didn't want a temporary city, they wanted a permanent city. They didn't want uh, uh, this country here, they wanted a better country. I mean, they're constantly comparing and saying, friends, wake up, God's offering you better. And here he says, store up for yourselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future that you may take hold of that which is life indeed. Take hold. So, Taking hold of something means it's something for me that God has given, but I'm taking hold of it. I'm grabbing it. I'm pulling it. I'm saying this is this is what matters to me. And I'm just so thankful that we get to walk in eternal life right now. You know, when when we all get beyond the veil and we see Jesus face to face, not through a glass dimly but we know as we're known. And we see him and we're like him. When that day comes, friends, when we hit that spot, we're, we've gone past the bit, we've, we've stepped in to this thing that God's been preparing for, preparing us for. It's not gonna make that much difference whether someone lived to 25 or whether they lived to 100. That's all gonna seem like this. It, it really makes a difference to me right now. Because I'm living in this world right now. I'm experiencing time. But when you get on the other side, all this time we spent here will be like this. And yet it matters. It matters so much. It's like this. And the prophets in the Old Testament and the, and the apostles in the New, they both say the same thing. All flesh is like grass. And its glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. In fact, God says to the prophet, stand up and, and yell this. All flesh is like grass. Remind people that this is temporary, but there is something eternal. And this is what all of us should invest our lives in. Invest our hearts, invest our treasure, invest our time. Some of you, your treasure is more your time than your money. Well, invest that too. Invest everything you have, your energy, your love, your affection in the things of God. And I want to tell you, you're going to find that he's given you 100 times what you put in, he, you're getting back. Amen. Amen. There is a harvest. There is a harvest. If you sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption. But if you sow to the spirit, you'll reap eternal life. There is a harvest. There is a treasure. There is a promise.
These men and women, it go, I, we read in Hebrews 11, they died without receiving the promise. Doesn't mean they didn't receive it. It says, without us, they would not have been complete. In other words, they ran their part of the race, and we're running our part of ours. And they get their promise through us finishing our race. Don't you know that those men and women, they died without receiving the promise, but now they're dancing? They're rejoicing because Jesus saved them too? They didn't get to see it with their eyes, but now they do. Aren't they glad? I mean, if you were to ask Moses, Moses, you could have lived in a really fancy Egyptian palace. And he'd be like, you serious? I would have traded for that for this? Abraham, I heard in Ur, they had a rooftop pool you could have swam in. Aren't you get tired of tent life? I know that's fun for a couple weeks in the summer, but aren't you tired of it? Oh, man. Not a chance. You see, you see what I've inherited? Oh, man, you, you could not talk those guys out of it. I mean, it would really be like going up to somebody and going, hey, nice house you got there. I'll trade you one of my Hot Wheels for it. <laughs> no, 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 before you say no, it's a Lamborghini, friend. You know how much this Hot Wheel is worth, right? Like, I mean, it's, it's not worthy of being compared. So don't be surprised. Don't be offended if your coworker doesn't understand that. If they don't know Jesus, why would they? But your eyes have been open. Let's not live like atheists that go to church. Let's live like people that have been born again and have their eyes open, awake to a new thing, and say, man, we have, we have, seen, we have seen a glimpse of eternity, and now you can't, you can't buy us off with something cheap anymore. We want the real thing. I'm going to spend my life on it. Spend my life investing in people that have nothing to offer me because this is investing in eternity. Spend my life doing things that your relatives go, what are you wasting your time on? I'm investing in eternity. Watch what God does.